let's be great Let nothing get up in your way Starts right now, I mean today Go all out and don't delay Yeah, yeah, dedication Wealth and health ain't no mistaking Ay, Greatness is a lifelong journey Not a destination Lonzy Power the third He's here to help you, yeah that's true Talking development, talking investment Grow to be the best version of you Let's be great, time to see success You can tell the competition that you up next I know the haters are probably gonna be upset Cause we about to level up, homie we ain't done yet Let's go Wanna be the best and you ain't never settling Just need the information, you ready to give you everything uh, I got the connection you all deserve This is Lonzy, power the third This is for everyone, I mean all us You ready to win and I know you ready to boss up You ain't got a delay, weekend or weekday Ain't nothing stopping you, it's time to be great Let's be great, Hey, Let's be great It's time to see success Let's be great What's going on, guys? Welcome to another great episode of the Let's Be Great podcast. I have a special guest today by the name of Cedric Simon. Cedric, thanks for accepting my invite. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. So happy you had me on. Okay, you mind giving the listeners a short bio about yourself? Uh, yes. Um, so I grew up in Riviera Beach, Florida. Uh, I went to Suncoast High School. Uh, and I would say around the end of my time in high school, I chose to not go to college at that time. I was a, a little tired of school, so I needed something different. And at that point, I chose to go to the military. I joined the Marine Corps, and I did about five years in the Marine Corps as an aircraft engine mechanic. In my last year in the Marine Corps, I started uh, taking classes. So I finished my whole freshman year of college while in the military taking classes in Iraq, wherever I could. So I remember sitting in um, Iraq, taking anatomy and things like that. Looking back on it, I can tell that I saw that it was necessary and I'm happy that I started that time. I guess I was a little bit more mature. Um, and I had an opportunity to re-enlist, but I, I really love entrepreneurship. So I chose to come back down to West Palm Beach where I went to Northwood University. I got my degree in entrepreneurship and marketing. And from there, I started working at a private high school, uh, teaching entrepreneurship, something that I love, as well as running different businesses. And as okay. we go on, we businesses, but, and this is where I am today. Okay, man. Great intro, man. And great background. And I want to continue the conversation that we had a few weeks ago. Okay. About financial literacy. I wanted to get your input because I, I, really think you had some great points um and um we had to put it on the podcast for for everybody to hear oh i would love to okay okay so, so uh, the, the, okay go ahead okay oh so the thing that i when we started the conversation when we we're out to uh lunch you it was another guy who was on your podcast i'm sorry i, I forget his name what was his name uh dr will nick Yes. And the question was, the lack of financial literacy in schools, is it by design? And mm -hmm. for many years, I was I was against that theory. I was like, you know, it is not by design. It's just mm -hmm. a lack of people who are willing to teach the class. But then I then I started to think if anything is made mandatory, everybody is going to do what it takes to make sure that they get all those components in order to make that thing work. So mm -hmm. if the the whole in the midst of this pandemic, if the COVID-19 vaccine is made mandatory, things are going to change to make sure that everything takes place the way it should. So when mm -hmm. it comes to financial literacy, it's the same exact thing. I teach a personal finance class. However, it is optional. The students who take my class, some of them take the class because they heard that I'm a great teacher. They heard some good things about me. They said it would be worth it. Some do not know me, but their parents say, hey, if there's a personal finance class, you better sign up for it. But mm -hmm. it's still so optional. Right. So I said the fact that the government does not make it mandatory in order for a student to graduate high school, then for that reason, it is by design. And we learn the hard way. This life is not so mm -hmm. forgiving. We learn mm -hmm. the hard way. Our reputation is so, so important, as well as our financial reputation. And it can take a very long time to repair if we make some of those mistakes. However, 
if we can learn that, those things in high school, life will be a little bit easier. We can take a little bit more time with some of our decisions, especially when it comes to our finances. Exactly, because, I mean, we need money in every area of our life, and I'm trying to figure out why it's not taught in school. I mean, yes. for, for everything we do, it requires, like, money. Right. So after years of, like, you know, you know, mishandling my money, you know, blowing it, whatever you may want to say about it, but I had to learn the hard way, like you said, and if I was taught at a younger age how to manage my money, how to invest my money, and stuff right. like that, we can, you know, cut out the hardship. Yes. All right. So um, if, we, if we want to talk a little bit more on that, there's this uh, it's something I talk about in class. So I'm mm -hmm. going to ask you a couple questions, if you don't mind. Okay. So would you sit on a one legged stool? No. Why not? No support. <laughs> I mean, it has support, but can we agree that it's, it's not that reliable? You just would never feel comfortable sitting on a one-legged stool, correct? Exactly. So let's say you didn't sit on it. Would you put your most valuable things on that one-legged stool and just take a step back? No, I won't. It's the same situation. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. However, mm -hmm. in our lives, we are taught to build our entire lives on one income. Right. That is it's support. We can't say that it's not support, but it's just not that reliable. So it, so so this represents that one legged stool is that's that one income. And for whatever reason, if that were to break, things will begin to fall apart for us very fast. Right. Very fast. So I, I say this. What separates the wealthy from the rest of the world? Multiple streams of income. Multiple streams of income. In other words, assets. Mm -hmm. the, the biggest difference is the wealth. They continue to build. One asset eventually takes time, but it, buy, it buys another asset. And then it buys another asset. What happens mm -hmm. with the rest of the world? We reset. Every time we lose a job, what do we do? We reset. Sometimes we mm -hmm. negotiate to get the same pay, maybe a little bit more, and even settle for a little bit, little bit less. So we reset. The biggest difference between the wealthy and the rest of the world is assets. The earlier mm -hmm. you get these assets, the better off your life will be. And that's the thing that needs to be taught in class. If we're going to summarize everything in school, we summarize that one-legged stool does not work. It doesn't. We build our entire life on that one income. And that is scary. We say entrepreneurship is scary. Entrepreneurship is risky. Not nearly as risky as a person who builds their entire life and is comfortable with just that one income and say, if all falls apart, I'll start over again. Now we're talking about mm. time and how much time do we have, you know? Exactly. I agree with you 100% on that. Because now even the whole 30 years at a job and 401k and pension, that's not even working now because once um, they reach retirement, they have to go right back into the workforce like maybe a few years later. Yes. Yes, um, and that, 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 that's also added on to it, the idea that when you get to 65, everything is going to work out. But the truth is, we know deep down inside when we're at the age of 50, perhaps 55, that, you know what, with the amount of money that I'm spending with my current lifestyle, I don't see how I could retire. But everything you mm -hmm. have been building has been on that one stream of revenue. It, it can be high. But the thing is, if you make six figures, I'm pretty sure your lifestyle is, is going to be very similar to a person who makes six figures. It's very mm -hmm. hard to live below our means. I don't know. I guess we really weren't not designed to do that. It's a, another level of discipline, I would say. Mm -hmm. um, for those who can do it, like I read an article by uh, his name is Quinn. He played in the NFL. I forget Detroit Lions. I believe he was a cornerback. And he said, hey, I live on 30% of my income and I invest the rest. Can you imagine how his finances are? Completely different mm -hmm. from everyone else who's throwing parties and who's supporting 10 different mortgages and things like that. So living below your means is, is definitely step number one, but that takes a level of discipline, a level of maturity. So the idea of retiring at the age of 65, it can't be done, in my opinion, if you, have, if you don't have other things set up other incomes to supplement your retirement. Mm -hmm. It's just necessary. And those who do it, they live very comfortable lives and they are not forced to go back into the workforce, which is something we don't want to do not at the age of 60, 65, and 70. Mm. 
And then I was, um, I forgot what it was. I think it was a blog I was reading, and they were saying pretty much, like, when them guys retire out of the NBA or NFL, three to five years later, they're broke. Oh. After making millions of dollars, three to five years after retirement, them guys go broke. All right. Um. So yeah. I, I would say the main reason that happens is because of just our consumption rate or your burn rate. How much money are you mm-hmm. spending compared to how much money you're bringing in? This is actually something that we can control, but sometimes those guys don't think their careers are going to end as fast as they as they do. So that's another mm-hmm. like shock factor. Like, whoa, whoa! I thought I had another season. I thought I was going to recover from this injury, but things did not mm-hmm. go go as planned. So those expenses are still there. However, the income is not. So, and keep Boom. in mind, they make the money, but they never had that. Those classes on financial literacy, they just had some very nice bank accounts. They had the income. Um, a guy that I work with, I have a lot of respect for him. We talk about finances a lot. And he said, mm-hmm. he said, um, financial literacy is not a side effect of um, wealth. Wealth is a, fi- a side effect of, of uh, financial literacy. So I thought about mm-hmm. that. I'm like, that makes a lot of sense. So once you yeah. understand money, once you have that discipline, you understand how it works. The idea of cash flow, then things are going to start to work out in your favor because you're going to take a little bit more time on the things that you want to buy. Make sure that it's worth it and you're going to be paid closer attention to the relationship between your expenses and the money that you have coming in. Mm-hmm. And money is nothing but a tool. You can either use it the right way or use it the wrong way. But we have to shift our mindset to even look at it that way. Yes. You know? Yes. If we use the tools right, you know, we can continue to get more tools. Right. And and um, you know, more you know what I'm saying? So man, how do we go about getting it out there so you know the masses can can uh, I I would say so the masses can understand it because it's it's not like out there, it's not like on social media, it's not like people talking about it daily. It's like uh, underneath the rug, I would say. Well, well, it, it goes back to something called personal finances. First off, we're not looking at what other people are doing. So if we want to find anything out, it starts with research. And the truth is, as much as busy as we feel that we are, it does take t- you have to take time to do research. You can research different mm-hmm. strategies on one, how to start a business, how to save your money, how to budget, how to do all of these things. I have a very long commute to work and I try to make sure that I'm using all that time efficiently as possible. So sometimes I put mm-hmm. in some financial literacy um, podcast, whatever, whatever comes up. And sometimes they say some things that make me uncomfortable because I know that I'm guilty of those things. But that's part exactly. of it. Sometimes we have to step out of that comfort zone. It tells me I'm doing mm-hmm. some things inside of what they're explaining. I'm like, yes, that's me. I need to make those changes. And that's a part of the process. So you said it's, it's not out on social media. It's not out in the open. Um, we're going to have to look for it, and that's fine. But when you make up your mind to become the best version of yourself, that's what's happening. Mm-hmm. You're going to look where you need to look. You're going to stay up a little later. You're going to make a phone call. You're going to see somebody who's doing the things that you want to do, and you're going to say, hey, can you give me advice? Can you be my mentor? Right. So if you want to learn, it is there, but you have to take the time to do it and step out of that comfort zone. And pretty much change some of those habits that we have that's step one it's personal finance this is your journey regardless of what's happening Mm -hmm. with everyone else you do not want to keep up with everyone else because eventually you're going to get exposed to say you're not set up the same way you know exactly trying to keep up with the joneses will leave you broke yes (laughs) yes yeah man that was powerful so Man, we got to find a way, though, you know, and, and it starts with like me and you, like guys like us that that know better. And we got to do like we're doing now with the podcast, spreading the information. Right. So people can consume it because we're num- we're the number one consumers. Right. So that's not going to help. That's not going to help at all. Actually, to, you, you, you make a great point. Like what in this country, especially in the U.S., um, it's very easy to spend money. It's very easy to gain weight. It's very easy to re- pretty much waste time. Those are the things that it's easy mm-hmm. to do. It's hard to just get back healthy. Like, you're going to have to do some things you don't want to do. 
it's hard to like really learn new lessons because it's just like it's not something that 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 we necessarily enjoy. You're gonna have to change your mindset to say, you know what, I need to learn a little bit more. So when I would sit down and watch a, a a TV show or something like that, I'm gonna take that time to read something, to listen to a podcast, to do something to better myself. So like you said, it's it's easy to spend money. Is every time you look at TV, everything on social media is ads. This is another way of spending your money. Not not many things talk to you about mm-hmm. how to save your money, how to invest your money. Those are the things that we're going to have to look for, and they are available. That you can access them from the same phone that you use, from the same computer that you use. There's channels that talk about the same exact thing, but we just have to look for it. That's the only difference. It's not a whole bunch of effort necessary. You just have to have the mindset, and everything else begins to fall in place. Exactly. I totally agree with you on that. And for me, man, I turned my car into like a library, to be honest. Like 95% of the time in my car is, you know, an inspirational video, personal finance podcast, or I'm just always learning on the mm-hmm. go, you know. And, and with our cell phones, man, it's so convenient to get information. And But, you know, a lot of people, they like entertainment over, you know, learning. Right. You know, and I'm not saying I'm just you know, learning all the time. Of course, I consume some type of entertainment, but as far as, like, I'm big on personal development, personal finance, trying to better myself. Yes. Um, being extraordinary. I don't want to be the ordinary guy. I don't want to be the guy that's 65 years old and I finally wake up and say, God, dang, I've been at this job for 30 years and I can't even retire. I know it's a scam now, so that's why I'm on a different path. Uh, with entrepreneurship, starting businesses, um, trying to tighten up with my finances I, um, and stuff like that. I like something you said. You said when you realize that it's a setup, uh, that that uh, point for me, I was actually in Iraq. And there's this book that was on top of like this, this little desk where I worked. And it was The Richest Man in Babylon. I walked past the book for three mm-hmm. days. Every time I walked past it, I looked at it a little longer. I'm like, what is that book about? This was that point when I'm like, I don't read. I don't have time for that. I don't feel like it or whatever. Truth is, I had plenty of time for it. I could easily pick up a book. So I eventually picked up the book. And to this day, it's still my favorite book. It talked about very simple principles. And it was it was mm-hmm. written, I believe, in the 1930s or something like that. But the principles that he talked mm-hmm. about in the book are more relevant today than they were back then. And it is simple on what you need to do. Um, but the one of the key things in this book is that 10 percent of all you earn is yours to keep. And when people mm-hmm. and when people hear that, they're like, what? 10 percent of all I earn. 10 percent just doesn't sound like a lot of money. You know, 10 percent of all I earn is mine to keep. Mm-hmm. People say, you know what? All of the money that I earn is mine to keep. But that is not the case. Mm-hmm. Let's start talking about who we're paying. We're paying a mortgage. That's a big chunk of what we make. Right. A, a car note. Um, mm-hmm. Our cell phones, perhaps they care. Who knows? The list goes on and on. And at the end of the day, you look and you actually aren't keeping anything. But it says 10 percent of all I earn is mine to keep. So if we start to think about that, what if you just had 10 percent go into another account that you don't have access to? Not even online access to, because when you look at money, you are, you can automatically start thinking of ways to spend it. Right. So it says 10 percent exactly. of all I earn is mine to keep. And if you do that. Two things are happening. One, you actually start to save money. And two, you start to create a discipline. And over time, your life doesn't change much because you wasted 10%. You just didn't see it. That 10% begins to grow. And that money is the money that you will invest. That means we already make enough money. We might be waiting for a stimulus check. We might be waiting for this, waiting for that. But we already make enough. It's just a, what what are we doing with it is always going to be the question. And that powerful line was enough for me to read the whole entire book about five or six times now. So meaningful, so powerful. 10% of all I earn is mine to keep. Mm-hmm. That means I... And then you see how... No, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I'm go ahead. sorry. Go ahead. And you see how the people around him was wondering like how he had the money that right. he had. Because he was pretty much doing the same thing they was doing. Mm-hmm. And I guess everybody was, you know, I guess we'll say poor. And he was the only one that was, you know, I guess had right. money. And he let them know, hey, I say 10% of everything I make. This, despite a bill, despite taxes, despite whatever, 10%, as soon as that direct deposit, I'm quite sure it wasn't direct deposit right. back then. But as soon as 
the money hit, 10% goes to me, no matter and what. And that 10% can, can buy mm. an asset, you know? Mm. It can buy it can buy those mm-hmm. things, and now you have another 10% that's doing the same exact thing, and that's when that machine begins to start. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, using that 10%, uh, uh, we're, we're probably going to get into it, but I um, used a tax return once to purchase a vending machine because uh, I'm like I need mm. to I need to make something happen. Like I w- so let's talk about that. Yeah, let's talk about the uh, vending machine. Um, so this was probably the third thing that I've done. So if, if I just run through my my different business ventures over the years, the first was Italian Ice. Um, I I met a guy. Mm-hmm. We, we talked about their entire nice business. I said, you know what? I would like to buy one of your carts. I bought one of his carts. I copied their business model. Uh, it worked for them. It didn't work so much for me, but you simply pay, pay a lot of money mm-hmm. to get into different events. The problem was some of these events would be three months from now, six months from now. So you're kind of out of money. You're waiting. You're hoping that the weather is perfect. You hope, you're hoping that there's not a lot of competition selling the similar products as you you hope that a lot of people show up and they're ready to buy and they're familiar with your product it's just a lot of hoping and finger crossing right uh and over time i say you know Mm -hmm. what this isn't really working for me because some days are good but then i lose some of that as as i pay or cover the cost of some events that are not so good right i i began to Mm -hmm. change my business model up a little bit and i say you know what i'm only going to do business where people already know what i have we already have some type of understanding. You're going to pay per person who's going to be there. So I'm getting a check. I'm pre-selling all of these items. And once I began to do that, I had a guaranteed profit for every single event. So that was the tie and ice, but it was still hard to get to those places and load the tie and ice card on my truck. And eventually I started to run out of time to be able to just keep up with it. So it went away. Um, from there, I started doing moving. Uh, then the story for moving is a, is a little different. We were, at my job, they were giving us overtime, and then the overtime stopped. And when it stopped, I realized how much I was actually making, and it definitely wasn't enough. So I heard about this service called Moving Help through U-Haul. I started doing that, and over mm-hmm. the years, I probably did over 200 moves, and I learned a lot of lessons during that time. Um, and... It, it just helped with the discipline. It helped me become a better entrepreneur. I got to meet people and I started asking a lot of questions. I would ask people, hey, why did you pick me? Why did you why did you sign up? Why did you go with my company? Some people said, I like your logo. I like you. And I and I've learned a lot just how people think and what makes them buy things. Uh, and mm-hmm. it would still some moves were good. Some moves didn't turn out so well and I could lose money from there. And it, and also. I didn't always have the most reliable people. So when I had something nice set up, I couldn't get anyone to work, even though they said that they would. Right. So I had to make another change. And from there, I ended up buying a vending machine. And it was it, it was in a place that I work. And when I first I, I knew the guy who owned the vending machines when I first got there and he would he would stop me and say, hey, are you interested in buying one of my vending machines? Because he had a couple in the school and another location. Then he also had like four inside of his storage unit. So I was like, you know what? Um, not it. No, I, I really don't want to buy it. I just didn't have that. I, I didn't have the mindset at the time. I had a new job. The money was nice at the time. So I wasn't as hungry, as you can say. And he ended up selling it to another mm-hmm. guy. And when when I would see it, the guy, he lived far away. So he didn't always have time to refill it. So I reached out to him. I said, hey. I'm ready now. I want to buy your vending machine. The guy was like, no, you're crazy. That vending machine is in a perfect location. There's no way I'm selling that vending machine. So I said, huh, how do I get to him? So about two weeks later, I reached out to him again. Hey, I still want to buy your vending machine. He's like, yep, that's not happening. And then I eventually just offered him money for the vending machine. He was happy with the amount that I offered him. He says, all right, I'll meet you on Saturday. We met up. I purchased the vending machine. Um, and that was probably one of the best investments I ever made to this date. Uh, I'm still working on other things, but as of right now, it was the best investment that I made. It was in a great location, um, a lot of repeat customers, and I was able to put money away, and it even helped me in my process of purchasing my house because it was an asset. It was an asset that I was able to show to the mortgage company and things like that. At first, they were like, you have a vending machine. Who cares if you have a vending machine? 
And I said, this is how much the vending, this is how much the vending machine makes. They said, whoa, okay. All right, so let's just confirm it is yours and it is in that location. And then, yes, we can move forward. But that's how crazy it was. They talked to me completely different because I'm an asset. And that's when it really opened up my eyes. Like, yep. the world respects assets. You have a job. You can lose that job tomorrow. And we've seen that with COVID. Mm-hmm. And any company, you are yeah. an expense to a company. And that's something we can never forget. Our goal is to say, hey, I'm an expense to this company, but this is my value. But regardless, you're still an expense to a company. So we can lose those jobs. But those mm-hmm. assets are so, so important. Exactly. And that's why I tell people around me, I say, look, I look at my job as my investor. I don't look at them as my job. Right. So when I shift my mindset towards that and, you know, pretty much take the money that I make there and try to flush it in my own business, that relieves Mm -hmm. a lot of stress because the company is not going to give you this great amount of money to live this lifestyle. They're not going to do it. So you have to create that yourself. By investing in your company, starting businesses, um, working on multiple mm-hmm. streams of income. So we, we we have to understand that. You know, a lot of people they get upset with their jobs. Oh, they're not paying me enough, and this they're not they're not going to pay you to uh, go to a car dealership and, and right. get you a Lamborghini. You have to yes. create that on your and own. And they never made that promise. No company ever said, "Hey, if you work here, you'll be a millionaire in a couple." Of years. They're saying this is how much we're going to pay for this position it's called an offer you either accept it or you don't at any point you can say you know what that's not enough money for me i'm going to keep moving you can do that but when we accept the job they said this is how much we're going to pay you to do this job so i'm not sure why we're surprised when we're not making what we should make even if you're doing a job is they want to pay you the minimum for what you're doing some jobs some employers understand hey Mm -hmm. this is an individual i want to keep i like their mindset I like I like how they share the same vision of our company. So they understand I need to pay them more because I can't let them go. But for the most part, some employers just don't understand that. And they're gonna pay you whatever they can just enough to keep you. Right? And they'll they'll say, Hey, That's if you want to go, you can go. So they're not even scared of you leaving. Even if you do have that value, no company ever promised to make you rich. And you shouldn't expect that. Exactly. And we have to change our mindset right. with that as well. Because the job is, stands for just right. over broke. Yes, it does. <laughs> you know, it, it just over broke. They're going to pay you just a little bit to pay your bills, put a little food on your table, clothes on your back, and you might have a few dollars mm-hmm. left over after that. But majority of the world lives paycheck right. to paycheck. And that's not my opinion. That's just mm-hmm. the facts. You know, majority of the world is paycheck to paycheck. And... um we, we got to find ways to get around that because, like we just said, the job is not going to fund you with a lavish lifestyle. It's just not. I, I, like, I like that you brought that up because another thing that I – what a thing that I'm currently doing is life insurance. And as we talk about how mm. hard it is to really just take care of your expenses while also supporting your family and things like that, when it comes to life insurance, it's the idea of, how are your how how is your family gonna continue? How are things gonna work just in case you're gone? If you're the person who bring you know how hard it is to bring in this money, you see how fast it goes, right? This is talking about without even any assets, but you're earning money, you're paying bills, you're taking care of your family. So the question is, what happens just in case you're gone? So I we can talk a little bit about I guess how I got into the life insurance if if you would like or what I'm doing now. Yes, yes, because um, to be honest, I think that's part of financial literacy as well, life insurance, because um, <laughs> the GoFundMe route, I don't think is a great route. And from what I'm hearing, life insurance can be very affordable. So, yeah, you got to All right, so um, this is one of those things. Early in this podcast, you mentioned you have to look for some things. And the truth is, well, I'll start off from the beginning. A couple years ago, Actually, back in 2000, I think it was 13, I lost an uncle. Um, I was close with him. He would, uh, I used to live with my grandmother for a while. And he was always over and we would play different games, especially in the summertime and things like that. But as he got older, he did, he, he did end up getting sick and he passed away. He had no life insurance. 
So my whole entire family, we met up over at my grandmother's house, and we were all trying to figure out how we're going to pay for this funeral. And every minute that passed, we got more and more embarrassed, saying, why are we not set up for this? Like, how, why are we in this situation? Mm-hmm. I'll put up 200. I'll put up 300. I'll put up 400. Now, we're not, as, a, as a unit, we have to get to about $10,000 to pay for this funeral. It's very embarrassing as other people outside of the family come and say, hey, I chip in. I'm part of, I feel like I'm part of the family. I'm going to give what I can, right? So I started thinking, I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't understand how, why that happened. And I was more afraid that I'm like, who else doesn't have life insurance, right? I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head because I had life insurance while I was working only with my employer at the time. But I'm like, if anything happens, at least they're going to get enough to pay for this funeral and, and pay some of the bills, right? So I started asking those questions. Uh, two years later, my grandfather passed. He did have life insurance, which made it not a burden on the family. It wasn't enough to necessarily give money to the kids and things. But your job is really just to make sure that when you pass, you are not a burden. And, and with his passing, things were better. Mm-hmm. I still had that question. So I started doing research and more research. And as a teacher, I, I would mention that. And one of my students said, hey, my mom is a life insurance agent. I spoke to her. She helped me get on the process. And it wasn't too long that I became a life insurance agent because I'm like, this makes sense. Who doesn't need life insurance? Right. Um, And when I started seeing the prices, I'm like, why doesn't everyone have like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of life insurance is is not that bad. So Mm -hmm. I then I later found out that most people have no idea how life insurance works. Some people see it like, oh, it's like a risk game. Like, if you don't die, then all that money goes to waste. And if you do die, you you don't enjoy it. Other people enjoy it. I'm like, if that's how you want to look at it. But tell me right now, would your life be different if your parent who passed had life insurance? And they and they were able to leave enough money to cover their expenses and leave you, let's say, 100000 even fifty, twenty thousand dollars $20,000, right? There's two. There's a lot of different life insurance mm-hmm. products, but the most common would be term, and then you have permanent policies, right? Um, you have IULs, of course. So can of you course. break down terms? Right, so a term policy. Most term policies are term either policy. 10, 20, or mm-hmm. 30 years. Depending on your age, you can actually get a term policy that goes for 40 years. So imagine that, right? So a term policy, just to give you an idea, um, it's the it's, it's called like the most purest form of life insurance. If you die during this term, the life insurance company is going to pay this amount. It's called your death benefit to your to your whoever your beneficiaries are. And it could be multiple people. It can be a church. It can be whoever you want your beneficiaries to be. Right. So that's just the understanding. Once you make your first life insurance payment, they are on the hook to pay that entire amount. Mm-hmm. Right. There are some different clauses in it. Um, believe it or not, there's life insurance calls where as long as you live past two years, even suicide is covered. I'm not saying that anyone should do that, but this is just like what's actually out there if we will start to do our research. So they're saying even if a person commits suicide after two years, that's just one of the things that's in that particular policy, but it's enforced from the first day. So that's your term policy. And if you do 10 years, which I don't necessarily recommend unless you have some type of plan, unless you know that you're working on this big project and perhaps you feel that you're going to be self-insured after that, or maybe you want to convert it to a permanent policy. But term policies, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. Majority of the policies that I write for people are for 30 years. I just feel that that makes the most sense. And I'm going to give you some examples. Um, mm-hmm. I worked with a guy. He got a life insurance policy with me. He for two hundred and fifty thousand dollars of coverage for thirty years. He's paying twenty dollars a month. Now, now let's think about everything wow. that you pay for. That's more than twenty dollars a month. And mind you, he has no kids. He is in a relationship. But when he has kids, he's still covered. Those kids are going to be covered for the next twenty-five years or whatever, just in case something were to happen for them. I like to think about my own life like I have I have a policy with my job. I also have a pol- another policy with one of my carriers that I that I work with. And I plan to get another policy probably around the end of this year. Then I'm going to be happy because everything is covered. Right. But I'm like, what would happen to my family? What would happen mm-hmm. to my children if I passed away today? They have to move out that house within what three months, six months. How long can they if I had no life mm-hmm. insurance at all, their whole lives would change. 
And that if that's something that I can control for a couple dollars a month for 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 a couple dollars a day or twenty thirty dollars a month, why wouldn't I do that? But some people, I've heard people say, you know what? I'm going to wait. I'm like, wait, wait. What do you mean you're going to wait? You're going to wait on life insurance? You you have to understand the concept of life insurance. I heard someone say they're going to wait a couple years before they get life insurance. The problem with that is only two things are going to happen. You're either going to get older. Well, we know you're going to get older. And you could possibly get sick, which means it's guaranteed that your life insurance is going to be more expensive tomorrow than it is today. Because you, you earlier you said it's like a setup or like a scam. It's not really a scam when it comes to life insurance. However, an insurance carrier makes a lot more money the longer you wait for a policy. If you get a policy today, even a permanent policy, that can go to 90, 100. I have policies that go all the way to 120. So you're definitely covered. Bill cash value and everything. Like, yes. Mm, so what? Mm-hmm. All right, so which one is the best one to go? With? All right, it, it depends term where you are term. in your life and what you have going on. As far as as far as the term policy, mm-hmm. I feel that you should have a combination of both. I feel that you should have a term policy, especially while you're in while you're younger, when you have a mortgage. You should have enough in your term policy to cover your entire mortgage. So the house get paid mm-hmm. off, perhaps money get invested, a lot of the expenses are covered. So those are going to be during your working years. So I, I almost feel like you always have to have a term policy. Then you should have a permanent policy. A permanent policy is called either a whole life policy or index universal life policy. They both build cash values. They both have their pros and cons. And definitely something I would love to talk to an individual about a little bit more. But a whole life, that's pretty much saying your entire life. They do their math, the carrier does their math, how much it's going to cost you. And over time, it does build cash value that you can borrow against. Same thing with Index Universal Life, which pretty much just goes off the start market. And it has a cap on how much money you can make. So let's say that cap is like 7%, 8%. That's the max. If the stock does 20%, the insurance carrier keeps the rest of that. However, on the other end, when it comes to your cash value, it never goes below zero, Right. So if it's a bad year for the stock market, you never lose money. So you're always building cash value. So that's what people like when they're thinking like, if I'm going to get life insurance, I don't. And, and let's say I, I just want to cancel the policy for whatever reason. Why wouldn't I have some cash value? Otherwise, my money is wasted. But the best thing that you can do, especially when you're younger, not even when you're younger, it's all about your health, really. When you're healthy, get yourself a life insurance policy, a term policy as well as a permanent policy with that combination. So let's say you get it at 36, a term policy of 30 years. When you're 66, you have no life insurance, right? You have no life insurance with a term policy. That's that big, mm. that's the biggest con. You have no life insurance at that point. However, if you have that permanent policy, for let's say an additional mm-hmm. 50,000 that's been building cash value, you have that for the rest of your life. So if you were to pass within that term, all those all those expenses, that burden that you would leave on your family is all taken care of. And perhaps your family, your family can invest and do so many more things versus leaving a void and no money and a whole bunch of bills. You're taking care of those things. If you outlive that term policy, you can still have a permanent policy in place that can take you for the rest of your life. So whoever your beneficiaries are, they're still taken care of. And that's being responsible. And when we look at the overall cost, especially someone in their early 30s, there's no reason you shouldn't have life insurance outside of your job. Most people think they're covered because they're, they have a policy with their job. But what is happening is every year that policy is renewed. So it's only for one year. The day you leave that job or the day you drop below mm-hmm. permanent, you probably lose that policy. So these are things that we don't even read into. But more importantly, when you leave that job, you have no life insurance. So let's say you work at a job for 20 years you had life insurance for that job for 20 years you started working when you was i don't know let's say 30 years old now you're 50 i can guarantee you that's a whole different premium for a 50 year old versus a 30 year old but if you can lock in even a permanent policy when you Mm -hmm. first start on a job now you have the income you're covered for the rest of your life no matter what so rather than working on a job 30 years now you're 30 years older you probably have some type of high blood pressure, other issues, the insurance company's like, oh, it's our turn. 
the ball is now in our court. And I've had plenty of people even get mm-hmm. declined because of their current health status. They say, hey, I'm willing to pay. The insurance carrier says, we don't even want your money. And that's the most heartbreaking thing for me. And those same mm-hmm. people say, you know what? If I would have known, I would have done this, this, and this. So as, if anyone is listening, I'm telling you now, look into life insurance. I would love to help you point you in the right direction, perhaps even write a policy for you, but most importantly, educate you on the process and the fact that it's not really a setup. All the information is out there, but no one is going to knock on your door and tell you exactly how it works. They'll wait for you to get older, not so healthy, and you're going to pay another $100 on top of what you would have been paying if you would have locked something in a little earlier in your life. Man. That was a lot, man. So, um, <laughs> shucks, what a start. <laughs> and I think, to be honest with you, I think it is right. We're scared to talk about death, to be honest. No one wanted, you know, sit with their kids or family members and say, hey, this is what, what's going to happen when I die. You, you guys are going to get this and that. So I think it's a fear factor All right, so, as well. So can we agree that that conversation you know. makes people uncomfortable? How, but how uncomfortable exactly. would you be when we you're sitting agree. here in front of a funeral director saying, hey, we need to bury my father, we need to bury my mother, my son, my daughter, and we have no life insurance. That funeral director is going to say, is going to respectfully get up and say, there's nothing that I can do for you. So you're talking about an uncomfortable conversation mm-hmm. for me to say, hey, I'm paying this premium. I'm working right now. This is what's going to pay out. However, just in case I can't pay it, you can even ask your children, can you guys help me cover my premium? Because that makes sense. This is We're not talking about this as an investment. This is just family mm-hmm. protection is what's happening. And I have different races look at it different ways, right? So perhaps in, in, in our community, mm-hmm. we're looking yep. at it as in like, I don't want to talk about that. Someone's going to try to kill me or this, this and this. That's that's that's, that's a very ignorant way of looking yeah. at it. <laughs> I have other races. I sit down with them. They said, Cedric, there's no question I need this policy. The process is so fast. I had one guy. He gave me everything I needed within a matter of days. And he went and just paid for his whole policy as soon as he had opportunity. It's not just about his finances. He just that's how important it was for him. He already has plenty of policies in place, but he knows some of those policies are going to expire. And he says, I cannot leave this earth knowing that my family isn't covered. What was the point in all the things that I did? I don't want that mm. to be the last thing they say about me. Because the first thing that they ask when a person passes, did they have life insurance? So, yes, uncomfortable conversation, I agree. Yeah. However, is it necessary? 100%. Yeah, it is. And I heard that before myself, man. Nah, I ain't going to get life insurance or somebody put yes. on me. I heard that before. <laughs> yeah, but we have to have them uncomfortable situations. And like you said, other other backgrounds look at it as a wealth, yes. build, wealth building uh, tool as well. They look at it as a way I, to build uh, I spoke with, you know? I spoke with um, one lady before. Man. We have a great relationship. And, and she was like, Cedric, um, I like what you're doing, and I'm going to try to help you, even starting with my family. But one big thing for her was, she was like, if I get sick, I don't want all the money that we have worked to create, all the assets that we have to go in my children paying for me. just This is just a long-term care, which is another product, because when we go into a nursing home or anything like that, those insurance companies, those uh, those types of places, they cost a lot of money. And if you don't have something like a long-term care and um, in place, how are you going to pay for that? So, and if you have money, they're going to make sure all of your accounts are empty. All of your assets are gone before the state jumps in and starts to make those payments. So she was very smart in, in her thought that, you know what, let me get all of these things in place so my kids can still enjoy what we have created and our all of our care is taken care of. It was eye-opening for me as an agent to see someone who understood Life insurance and long-term care, so I like like just her grasp on the whole thing was just amazing, right? So I was learning from her, like, wow, I see how much you care for your children. Mm-hmm. Also, just the way that you understand this process, like it was eye-opening for me by far. Mm-hmm. 
And GoFundMe should not be an option. GoFundMe is already like I, I'm gonna say that was like 2016, 17, because they heard of people. Oh, people hear the sad story and they're gonna give money to to this family. But why am I giving money to this family when I'm making sure that my family is taken care of? I mean, at, there's there's no surprise. Like, yes, a person it can a person can die accidentally, but while you're alive, you know what you need to have. And going back to that conversation we were saying, that's a one-time conversation. It is mm. over. Take care of life insurance. Make that payment come out automatically. It's not a lot of money compared to other things that we're paying for. And you're not thinking about it anymore. We're, you're not thinking about it anymore. So, yes, GoFundMe is not, not even an option. Like, if everybody goes on GoFundMe, how, how much money can people really give you? Be responsible. Do what you need to do. It's going to make your life easier. It's simple. And I feel good knowing that my family is going to be taken care of. Mm. Yes, that is big, man. So, Cedric, I want to transition. I'm ready. Let's be great segment. Are you ready? All righty. If you could meet one person that has accomplished something great, uh, who would it be? So can it can it be someone who has already passed? Is that would that work? All right. So the person yes, would be, yes, for me yes. would be Earl Nightingale, right? So this guy Earl Nightingale. It actually I was at work one day and I, and I'm just sitting and had a little free time and I'm like I need I need more wisdom <laughs> I guess right. So I started searching things and this and it was this thing that popped up said 19 <laughs> minutes that would change your life. I'm like oh here we go again right. 19 minutes. Let me hear it. I listened to it. I couldn't believe the amount of wisdom that, ha- that, that, I, that I received or absorbed in those 19 minutes. And I listened to it again. And now I have my entire class listen to it every single year, right? So, and it's two things, the two main things in this, um, in this 19 minutes that he talked about were two secrets. The first says, our rewards in life will always be an exact proportion to our contribution, our service. I'm like, and people heard that you, you get out what you put in, right? Mm-hmm. It makes a lot of sense. But I'm like, it just it just feels a little different when I heard it that way. And then he said mm-hmm. it a different way. He said the money that you are paid in the company that you work for will always be in direct, um, in direct ratio to the need for what you do, your ability to do it, and the degree of difficulty involved in replacing you. So there's three different parts to that. The need for what you do. Is your job mm. becoming obsolete? Are you paying attention to what's happening around you? A lot of people get fired and they're surprised. You didn't notice? You didn't notice that they were putting machines in that were doing what you were doing? That they were training people on the same job that you're doing? So it's the need for what you do. Mm-hmm. Again, we are an expense to a company. We have to make sure our value is higher than that expense. Your ability to do it. How good are you at your job? Sometimes people think that they're getting away by just doing the bare minimum. Like no one's watching them. The supervisor leaves, so they just do the bare minimum. But they they might just be waiting to for someone to replace you. They're just looking for the right person. They're already looking at applications. So don't don't be fooled into thinking that you're outsmarting anyone. People notice what you're doing. You're always marketing yourself. The need for what you do, your ability to do it. How well are you doing your job? However, the most important part of this whole um, secret would be the degree of difficulty involved in replacing you. So on your job, what are you doing exactly? You know, like, are you making it hard for them to replace you? Are you taking the time to learn another job and start doing that? A lot of people say, I'm not doing that. I'm not, a, I'm not a manager. You don't pay me enough to do that, right? That mentality is probably the worst. If you start doing what your manager is doing, then you probably are the person who's going to replace that manager. If you take the time to say, I'm going to do, do more than my job description, mm-hmm. I see the value. And you're the type of person that I do want to keep in this company. There's a term that I use in the class is entrepreneur. So that's an entrepreneur that works within a company. You understand where this company is trying to go. And you understand the ways in which you can contribute mm. to that vision. A CEO is going to look for you. Companies are looking all over the world to find those types of individuals, and they're getting paid a completely different um, type of paycheck. 
They're like, hey, I don't care what happens. We can't let that person go. When you hear companies laying off thousands of people, they are never laying off entrepreneurs. In fact, when other people are getting laid off, they're getting promoted. You lay off employees. You don't lay off entrepreneurs. You don't lay off that very valuable mm-hmm. individual within your company that seems to care just as much about your company as you. You say, hey, what can I do to help you in what you're working on and your projects? What do you need to do this project? And before you know it, you're working on projects by yourself with different resources that they provide. Because they say, you work completely different. When I'm going, I'm not worried about that person. And that's the kind of person we should be in any organization that we're a part of. So those 19 minutes were some huge eye-openers for me. So if anybody has the chance, um, 19 minutes that would change your life, it's going to be this guy sitting at a desk. It's like black and white, but the guy just talks, and he's very easy to listen to. In fact, I've listened to about 32 hours in total of everything that he has done, and I absorb so much, and it's taking me so long to really still break this stuff down and turn it into lessons that I can tell to other people, but it's some powerful stuff, and he's definitely someone you should listen to. Um, 19 Minutes That Will Change Your Life is going to be the start. He has other things like Lead the Field, but is he's it's very impactful and it's a lot of wisdom there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I listen to him as well and um Napoleon Hill. Um yeah, so man, they both have great information. And then, yes, and then just the mindset behind them guys is like very powerful. Mm-hmm. Okay, question number two. What do you think is holding right. people back um, from achieving greatness? I love this one. I love your questions. All right. So the number there's two things that hold people back. One is procrastination. Procrastination is our biggest problem. We know the things that we need to do, but for some reason, and this is this is there's no easy um, cure for this. There's no, nothing that I can say. This is just a mentality that has to develop, and I still struggle with it. Sometimes I'm winning. I can go a month of like no procrastinating on top of my things and organize using my my notepad. And then there's months when I'm like, oh, my God, I just wasted an hour and I really needed that hour, you know, but procrastination, putting off what you need to do. Right. What you what things you can do today, you're putting it off for tomorrow. And what are you doing? You're kind of screwing your future self. Right now, tomorrow has two things that they need to do, three things that they that it needs to do, because you've put so much of the workload on the next weekend or the next month, and it's starting to pile up, right? And it just can get to the point where it's overwhelming, to the point you don't even want to start, which is which is a very bad thing. But procrastination it keeps us from being great because if we take two hours to really work on something, the result can be amazing. Can we finish that same thing in 30 minutes? We can, right? But it's not going to be nearly as good as when we take our time with any project. Procrastination makes us wait, and it makes us it makes us work harder and fast and not the same level of attention mm. to detail. We're rushing through it, and it's just it, it never works out in our favor, and it's a very bad habit. That's a lifelong struggle, to be honest with you. But you take it takes time to work on those different habits to make it life a little easier. The second thing would be self-doubt. By far the most powerful thing in the world. Um, we like to blame other people. We like to blame competitors and things like that. But a competitor mm. does not have to worry about a person who's afraid to start. Sometimes it could be because of things that we experienced in our past, you know. I failed in the past when I tried to start this. In fact, I created this um, this character mm-hmm. in class called Jimmy Daniels. And with Jimmy Daniels, I, it's just a guy I talk about his entire life from childhood to when he was an adult until he eventually passed away. And the fact that he never actually executed. When it was time to execute, he would just disappear. And everyone like, where was he? It's, it's time. He was so afraid of failure that he never executed on anything even in situation, situations where he was the most qualified, right? And when he died, I said that he became the idea ghost. So when we have ideas, as soon as you have an idea, such as your podcast, right? As soon as you have that, it's, it's, this, it's some kind of thing that comes up to you and say, hey, are mm-hmm. you sure that you're the right person to do this? Are you sure you're qualified? What is your background? Do you want to fail? 
Are you really willing to put money and time into something that you're not familiar with? You know there's going to be a learning curve. And it really is really discouraging. So the question is, are you going to execute anyway? That's that self-doubt. No one is worried about a person who never starts. But when you're willing to start, when you're willing to say, I don't care what happens, this is necessary. That's when things begin to change in your life. And every time you accomplish something, I don't care how simple it is. It's this feeling that nothing can describe, but it, get, it starts to build that momentum. So when you overcome that self-doubt, even procrastination is like, whoa, let me get out the way. This person is serious about these goals and the dreams that they're setting for themselves. Mm-hmm. So even procrastination is like, I can't, I can't stop them. Not right now. But self-doubt is a strong, this feeling, this nervousness, like, I can't do it. I'm going to wait. So we try to buy more time for, you know, what a year has passed and you still haven't done it. Procrastination and self-doubt will by far be the worst, uh, be the number one factors to keeping people from being great because everyone has that potential. Everyone does. Man, that was powerful. Um, and where do you think the self-doubt come from? Like, we all got to leave here, so why do we self-doubt mm-hmm. ourselves so much? And majority of it is all from right. the outside. So I, 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 I like, I like what you just said. You said it's from the outside. So the same character that comes to you, when he realizes that he cannot get to you, like this person is determined. That attitude is different. I, their mentality is a little too much for me to handle, so I'm going to step back. However, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go to their negative friend. They have a negative friend that pretty much says everything that they're trying to do is not worth it. They're, you're going to mess up. You shouldn't do that. You're wasting, their, you're, you're wasting your time. That negative friend is going to give you all the reasons. And it's not a whole bunch that's necessary for you to say, you know what? You're right. Let me get back to what I was doing over the last 10 years. I shouldn't really make a change. I shouldn't step out of my comfort zone. Why? Because people who don't dream have a hard time understanding your dream. People who people people who don't dream and mm. who don't set goals, they have a very wow. hard that time understanding what you're trying to do. You mean to tell me you're about to make yourself uncomfortable just to get something that you don't even know how it, how the experience is actually going to be? You're just going to go blindly? You're just going to go on faith? And you're going to work that hard and spend your time and money on something? You're crazy. And you say, yes, I am. But how rewarding is it going to be when you realize that dream? So when he sends out those negative friends, then it's even family. You have family that can say, hey, I don't think you should do it. Because sometimes your family members saw you in a different place. They saw you when you weren't so organized. When you did, when you wasn't so driven. They saw oh you back God. then. And they're like, yeah, you're going to try to be a real estate agent now? Or you're going to try to be a stockbroker mm-hmm. now? You're going to try to start a podcast? I remember when you didn't have this, this, or that. And you needed me to loan mm-hmm. you some money. So they are going to come. And the ammo that they have is some powerful stuff. They have artillery. Mm-hmm. They have artillery on your mindset. They have artillery on you, on, on your focus and everything. So not only do we have to get over our self-doubt, we have to get over the doubt that other people are trying to place on us. So when it's when we talk about a level of maturity, we talk about a that's just a different kind of mindset. You have to prepare for war to say in order to get the things that I feel that I deserve, I'm going to have to go through a mental war. And when you re, and when you hold that trophy, when you holding whatever it is that you were fighting so hard for, you're going to turn around and you're gonna say it was all worth it. Now I'm ready for round two. Because I'm a different kind of person and people are going to see you from a distance. They're going to see it in your eyes and they're going to see your energy. And they're going to say, hey, I like what this individual is doing. They weren't always doing this, but they have my respect now. You know, they have my respect now, which is so, so, so important. And Cedric, man, you right on point with this, man, because I'm I just completed a book that I will be releasing uh-huh. April 21st. And I talk about everything you just said. The reason why majority of us don't reach our fullest potential is because of the people around us, our family members, our friends. Uh-huh. And to be honest, they might be saying it out of love, but they also saying it out of, I seen you 
when you needed money from me. I seen you when you was very immature. I seen you when you failed at this and that. So the book that I I have coming out April 21st, man, it, it hits on this topic, man. And I went into detail because um, I was listening to one guy named Michael uh-huh. Roberts, Michael V. Roberts. He's a he's a billionaire. And um, he said when he first started, he was getting so much negativity from like family, okay. friends. You know, he said he continued to rock the boat. He continued. And now he's a billionaire. So um and he also was saying that they, uh-huh. your family, try to protect you. You know, you have to, and they don't want you to fail and this and that. But he said you have to do it. Potential, potential is nothing but untapped greatness, and we all have it. But a lot of us would never right. reveal it because we are so scared of what people. I agree are with that. I agree with that one hundred percent. Man. Mm-hmm. Okay, and last but not least, Ooh, your definition question. of greatness. All right. So, my definition of greatness. Um, I feel that greatness is that point in your profession, that point in your career, that point in your life when you are only competing with yourself. You are only, like, we can look at a, at the professional level of the, the big names like LeBron James, or Drew Brees, Tom Brady, Michael Phelps. Um, all that's athletics. You have you have Oprah. You have so many different names that we can talk about. But it's that point when they're saying, "I'm I'm not waking up for anyone else, but I'm waking up to do this for myself. I'm not trying to compete with anyone else." And that's another level of discipline. And that's a completely different mindset. So even as we work, whatever we're working on, right? That's we're only competing with ourselves because we're saying, "I'm working to become the best version of myself." I'm going to be better tomorrow, not because my neighbor is better, not because my coworker mm-hmm. or teammate is better. I'm doing this for myself, and I just and I want to see exactly what I'm capable of. People who are on that road to greatness, everyone can see it. You can see it in the way that they talk. You can see the things, the way, how did you manage to change your own bad mm-hmm. habits? That's something hard to do. Mm-hmm. Things that you once did, you have, you're changing all of those things because you're working towards mm-hmm. something. Greatness is definitely that point where you're like, I don't need to be validated by anyone else. I'm going to make sure that I'm the best technician to ever do this. When I was in the military, I said, my job is to be the best mechanic. How can I be better? What can I learn? Who can I learn from? And I feel that when I left, even after being in the military for only five years, when I left the military, I felt that I was a great mechanic in what I did because I took the time not to compete with anyone else. But I said, I want to be the best person to do this for me. In this life, we're working for ourselves. Let's think about that. And then you're going to help people in the process, even if you do nothing else but just inspire them. When you work for yourself, when you're focused on yourself and becoming the best version of yourself, that is true greatness in my opinion. Oh man, and to of my book, You versus You. That is chap that is chapter two of my book, You versus You. And we have to understand that. We have to uh compete against our old self, not others. That's the only way we can reach our fullest potential. If you continue to compare yourself and seek competition that even the person don't even know you're competing against, you will never reach your full right. potential as a person. Never. Because you will never be satisfied. You will never. And that's why my slogan is greatness is a lifelong yes. journey and not a destination. Because I'm always competing against myself every day. I'm trying to, you know, get better. I agree. You know, and that's the mindset we all should have. Not let me compete against this person over here, and this person don't even know that I agree. we're in competition. No, and we have a bad habit of that, and that's <laughs> why I came out with the book. I almost said the title, almost, <laughs> but the the book will be out April twenty first, <laughs> and I can't wait because I know it's going to be a game changer, man. I know it's going to um, uplift a lot uh-huh. of people because even on my journey as a new um, entrepreneur, I don't had. Plenty, plenty of people reach out to me 
just in, inspired by, you know, the moves that I'm making and um, wanting to invest in my companies and stuff like that. So when I put this book out, man, it's really going to change the game because that is a very, very big point, man. We have to compete against ourselves. Yes. And that's the I agree. only and I'm way. Looking- the only path to greatness. No, I'm just gonna say I'm, I'm looking forward to the book because because when you that is against, that mm-hmm. is it's, it's it's life is about the things we can control as well as the things that we cannot control. And we when we concentrate on competing against ourselves, that's something that we can control. Because the idea is can um every day in every way I'm getting better and better, right? Mm. It's like I should be in a better place next year than I am today, but now I can just look at what did I do. How can I be better? In what ways? And we already know what ways we can improve. Some things we may not see. Other people may have to point out. But for the most part, we know what we need to do to be great, you know? And it's just a matter of, do I have the discipline? Do I have that mentality right now in my life? Mm -hmm. Is something going to make me have that mentality? Like, whoa, I need to change. And when you compete against yourself, that's when you're looking at true greatness. Mm Mm-hmm. Man, that was powerful. Again, Cedric, I want to thank you for joining me today. This was a very great episode. I can't wait to put it out there for the masses to hear. Oh, great uh, thank you for having me uh, ever and, uh, since our first conversation. For your time. And hopefully perhaps so, uh, one day I'll have a podcast and I would love for you to be on because I think it's time that we have these conversations and stop assuming that everyone just knows everything. I've learned so much from listening, and I have a lot of respect for you and what you're doing. Uh, even even when I first heard about your podcast, I'm like, I like it. This is definitely something that I want to be a part of. So this has been a great day, a great time for me. It's an eye-opener, and I have a lot of respect for what you're doing, and I hope that you never stop. All right. Oh, man, I appreciate that a lot, man. Okay, More to it come. works. Uh- Woo, yeah, let's be great. Hey, let nothing get up in your way. Starts right now, I mean today. Go all out and don't delay. Yeah, yeah, dedication, wealth and health ain't no mistaking. Hey, greatness is a lifelong journey, not a destination. Lonzy Power the Third, uh, he's here to help you. Yeah, that's true. Talking development, talking investment, grow to be the best version of you. Let's be great. Time to see success. You can tell the competition that you up next. I know the haters are probably gonna be upset because we about to level up, homie. We ain't done yet. Let's go. Wanna be the best and you ain't never settling. Just need the information. You ready to give you everything. Uh, I got the connection you all deserve. This is Lonzy Power the Third. This is for everyone. I mean all us. You ready to win and I know you ready to boss up. You ain't got a delay. Weekend a weekday. Ain't nothing stopping you. It's time to be great. Let's be great. Hey, let's be great. It's time to see success. Let's be great.